Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? If you know me, you know, uh, which some of you are, don't know me because some of you are brand new. I'm looking out. Um, but if you know me, you know that I could have sat in that last song for a lot longer. And the truth is, with the text that we're about to teach and learn through together today, that song is very appropriate. Because our affection and our devotion and our love for Jesus to really pour that out. And I think of the scene when Mary is pouring oil on Jesus and she's pouring so much what, what would have been worth so much money out on the feet of Jesus, anointing him. And I think of what that would have meant to her. And then I think about how we sing words like that and sometimes we sing them so casually, like just our affection and devotion, our love, we pour it out on you. And I think about the text that we're gonna, that we're gonna teach today and how if we're honest, it's really, it's really kind of easy to just go through the motions. It's kind of easy to just play the game or, or say the right things or sing the right words, lift a hand every once in a while. But, but God's not gonna let us just play the game today uh, with the text that we're learning from today and, and we're, we're digging into. We know that there is true devotion. There is genuine faith. There is genuine love that, that comes out of the Christian because of what's happened on the inside. And so there's, there's no way to really play the game or just say the words when you have that genuine heart change on the inside. And, and so then when words like this are sung, some of us aren't expressive. Some of us don't sing loud. Some of us don't even sing in the shower. Raise your hand if you don't even sing in the shower. A couple of us. Like, it's a real thing. Some people don't do that. Most of us do, but some people don't. It's okay. Like, some of us aren't expressive. That's not what God's calling us to. He's not calling everyone to be the most expressive. but there will be fruit from what happens on the inside of us. There will be fruit. Your fruit will look different than my fruit. That's okay. But there will be fruit. There will be something that comes out of a heart that's been changed. And we have nowhere to run from our scripture today. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I'm just gonna read it, and then, and then uh, I'm gonna get to my actual intro since that wasn't it. And anyway, Matthew 7:21 it'll be on the screen not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Father, help us today. Open up our hearts, make them soft, 
penetrate them with your truth. Make us more confident in our relationship with you from our time in your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. This is, this is a difficult text. This is one that's close to my heart and close to my story. It's, it's probably the scariest text in all of the Bible, that, that there will be some who thought on that day, on the judgment day, that they, they, will, they will have thought that they were saved, and they will get there, and they will say the right thing, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they will say, but, but I did all these things in your name. We, we cast out demons. We, we did miracles. Like, I saw the fruit. Like, we did it. But I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Depart from me. So close. Like, like knew exactly what to say. Knew exactly how to act. Knew exactly how to, to, to look. And, and even knew, knew what to do. But didn't know him. That was my story. For a large part of my life, I knew what to say. I knew how to say it. I knew, I knew how to look when I said it. I knew how to lift my hands at the right parts. I knew exactly when to come and when to not come. I knew exactly how everybody was expecting what they were expecting from me. I knew it. I, I did it. I had it. One, two, three, next week. And I, and I lived the majority of my young life doubting my salvation and fighting this uphill battle of trying to earn it. Constantly doubting. And I didn't have a relationship with God. I had a relationship with religion. I had a relationship with what to do, with what to say, with, with how to look, with how to sound. I, I had, it was constant. It, it, was, it was all of what I did and thought about. It was consuming, but it wasn't a relationship with God, and I constantly doubted. I, I constantly had doubts about whether or not I was saved, and, and I was wrestling with if I was earning it enough, if I was doing enough. And then I, I, I read Ephesians 2. By the grace of God, he sent me to Ephesians 2 when I was 12. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you were dead. I sat there for a moment. I remember this. I remember sitting on that verse, and you were dead. Is he talking about me? You were dead. Up until this point, everybody told me I was doing good. I was, I was the good kid. I was doing it right. I, you know, I looked the part. I was making A's. I was doing the deal. And then this guy who wrote Ephesians, I didn't know who he was at the time, said, you were dead. And it felt like God was talking to me. In verse 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, among whom all among whom we all once lived, and I read that, in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And I thought, 
that is me right now. When I was 12, I thought, that is me. Like, I'm doing that. He's, maybe I'm the part of the dead. So what's the answer? And then he goes to verse 4. This is the answer. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oh, I heard that before. Is that what that means? That God, who is rich in mercy and, and has this great love for me and for us, that, that, that while I was dead, he made me alive together with Christ. How does that happen? I've heard by grace you've been saved through faith, but I didn't really understand it because I was trying to earn it. And grace isn't earned. It's literally unearned favor. And then he keeps going. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so now he's talking about somebody different. When I was 12 reading this, I'm like, he's not talking about me right here. This hasn't happened for me yet. I knew it. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And then right there, boom. That's why he wasn't talking about me. Because all I had built up was my own doing. Everything I did was, was for him was, was for heaven. I think I was trying to, to, for the sort of the right reasons, but I was doing it in my own power for me. And it's not a result of works that no one may boast, verse 9 says. And then verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. I wasn't walking in them because I had not been reborn. I had not trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I had not laid down what I was doing in my power and surrendered to him having already finished the work on the cross for it's by grace you've been saved through faith in Jesus. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it began to click for me. And then I remember going on through, through high school and through college. And, and, and I remember getting to uh, college. And in one of my early years of college, I heard this, this preacher preach a message about getting to the bottom of your joy. Like, like what's at the bottom of your joy? What, what's ultimately at the bottom of the bottom of, of what you're searching for and how you're satisfied and, and what you find joy in? Are, are you at the bottom or is God at the bottom? And it, it hit me right between the eyes. And, and I remember he kept saying in this message, he, he kept saying, his name is John Piper, for those of you who are wondering. And he kept saying in this message, he kept saying, test yourself, test yourself, test yourself. I don't know you. Test yourself, test yourself. And I, and I remember hearing that like, ah, oh, am I really saved? Am, am I really like blood bought? Am I, am I really a Christian? And the first scripture that he read was this, was this one, Matthew 7, 
21 through 23. There will be some on that day who say, Lord, Lord, but I say to them, depart from me. I never knew you because they were workers of lawlessness and they never had a relationship with me genuinely. And I remember getting hit right between the eyes with that and, and stopping in my tracks and, 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 and struggling all through the night. And, and, and even longer than that, for, for weeks, I was struggling with, with my salvation. Am, am I really? And I remember, remember being actually kind of mad at him for that. Like, I remember for a couple weeks, I was like, this doesn't feel good. I don't, I don't want to struggle. I want to be confident. I don't want to wrestle like this. I remember struggling with whether or not I thought like what he did was good. Because I, I, I was brought up, and, and maybe you can relate, like, like it's, it was an inherently wrong to doubt. Like it was, don't doubt. Like just push that away. Just forget about that. Don't do that. And it's the way I was thought, like that's the way I was brought up to think. Like, you trust your profession of faith. Jared, look at your Bible. You wrote down the date that you were saved. You wrote it down. Trust that. You walked it. Do you remember walking the aisle? Jared, trust that. Don't worry. You have no reason to doubt. So I remember struggling as I was examining myself and testing myself. I was struggling with whether or not this was even right. <laughs> but everything changed for me after that night. And I don't believe I was saved on that night. I, believed I, was, I believe I was saved in my room when I was 12 reading the scriptures. But something changed for me on that night because I struggled more than I ever had. I wrestled more than I ever had. I dug deep into the script and I started studying the scriptures in a deeper, more intentional way after that. And because of that, and as I wrestled, I gained more confidence in my faith. And looking back on this night and, and that part of my story, maybe I would have always struggled with doubt until I learned how to test myself with the scriptures. And that's why I wanted to start today with that because I, I, I want that to be what today is for us. I want us to to test ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine. It's very biblical what, what that preacher did for me on that night. Test yourself. Examine yourself. I don't know you. I see what I see, but, but only you can really test yourself and examine yourself. And we find passages like Ephesians 2 that, that help us understand grace. And we find passages like 2 Peter 1. And this is a beautiful text. I'm going to read a lot of verses here for you. It's going to be on the screen. But these, these help us be confident in, in who we are. If we've, been, if we've been reborn because of Christ, we can be confident as we search scriptures like this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted, us to, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that through, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You're, you're now partakers of this divine 
nature. Either you are or you aren't. And for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, read it, (laughs) study it, sink deeply into those seven things that he says supplement your faith with. And if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful, and they give you confidence. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait, so I thought it was by grace through faith, not a result of works, but that feels kind of like works to me. Like that feels kind of like I've got to do some things in order to gain this entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like how does that match up? And this is, these are good questions to ask. This is what I have to ask when I study the scripture because the scripture is not contradicting itself. It's helping us, it's all helping us understand with Jesus at the center how to live. And we see here that this is not a contradiction, that that it's not about works in order to gain or earn. We work as a result of what's already been done. So we don't live for acceptance. We live from a place of already being accepted. But we have to work. (laughs) We have to live. And as we do and as we dig and as we wrestle, we see that this is all part of his plan to, to give us more confidence and more hope in who we are and who we are becoming. So let's lean into these words today of Jesus. I know they're scary, but they're true. And I don't think my job today is to make you less scared or to make these words less scary or to make sure that you go out without a doubt today. I don't think that's my job. Maybe a good testing is just what you need today. Maybe that's what we need. Jesus said these things that we're afraid to say. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I'm really scared to say these things, but Jesus just said them very plainly. Just put them out there. I mean, think about what he's saying. There will be many who come to me looking the part and and doing the right things, miraculous things in my name. They'll even come saying the right things, calling me Lord, which is who I am. But I'll tell them to leave because I never knew them. And he's coming to the end of the greatest sermon of all time with warning after warning after warning. 
And he's very clear with these. He's very plain. He doesn't want us to be deceived because we're headed towards the day of judgment and there's no escape. Everybody's headed towards this day of judgment. And when we stand before Jesus, we're going to get one of two things from God. We're either going to get this statement, depart from me, I never knew you, or we're going to get well done good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. This is inevitable. This is going to happen for for all of us, 100 out of 100 times. So, So really, when you think about it, it's the greatest kindness that Jesus spoke so plainly and clearly about these warnings. It's the greatest kindness that he didn't sugarcoat it like I would have if I was preaching on the mount with all this crowd around He made it clearer than we are comfortable with. (laughs) We're without excuse. (laughs) He speaks frightening truth in order that we would understand and, and, and be saved. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, this made me think immediately of my dad when, when I was younger and he would punish me and, and he would be talking to me and I would be trying to work my way out of it. And I'm just, you know, I'm just spinning the words around and trying to, don't you give me that lip service. That's what he would say. Anybody heard that one? Don't you give me that lip service. I don't want to hear any more of that lip service. Him empty words. He didn't say empty words, but that's what he meant. Lip service. That's what lip service means. Like you just... Blah, 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 but your actions aren't following what you're saying. It's just lip service. It's empty words. Jesus didn't put up with lip service either. He quoted the prophet Isaiah in Matthew chapter 15 to the Pharisees. He said, you hypocrites, speaking to the Pharisees, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. In vain do they worship me. This is my heart for us, that we would not be singing about the love that we pour out on the feet of Jesus in vain. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They've got all this religion that they're teaching as commandments, but these commandments are only from men. Their hearts are far from me. We can learn from this text that sound doctrine is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. Intellect is not enough. You can be as as true as true can be in your mind, and it's not enough. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. To to say Lord, to call him Lord is right and it's true. It's the proper title to use. These people that Jesus is speaking of have good theology. They have sound doctrine. They know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he is Lord. And to say Lord, Lord is an orthodox way to emphasize devotion. So this is good what they did. Like, Lord, right title, and Lord, Lord, emphasis, devotion. But it still wasn't enough. 
you can get all these good things right and still have no true devotion and still have just lip service before God with your heart far from him. Hear me, it's possible for profession to be perfectly empty. It's quite possible for even the truest profession to be perfectly empty. What's the difference? Let's get to the difference. What's the difference here? Jesus began his ministry with a very simple message. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. What's the difference? Repentance and believing. That's the difference. Repentance and believing. Repentance is necessary and unavoidable. This is an unavoidable step of the Christian, and it doesn't happen one time. I like the Gospel Coalition's definition of repentance. If you're ever looking for a good resource, thegospelcoalition.org, I think, maybe .com, try them both, org. Org, Dawson's having his thumb up, that's good. The Gospel Coalition's a great resource. It's really got a lot of good stuff. And this is their definition of repentance. I'll put it on the screen. Can you see that or is it too small? We had to shrink it. You can see it. Are you too scared of this message to nod your head? Okay, okay. True Christian repentance involves a heartfelt conviction of sin, a contrition over the offense to God, brokenness sort of, but it's deeper than brokenness. Contrition is a really good word. Over the offense to God, a, a turning away from the sinful way of life and a turning towards a God-honoring way of life. This is so important because sometimes we take repentance and we make it smaller than what it actually is. We make it maybe one or two of these things rather than all four. True repentance is not only being convicted and sad and sorry. That's not, that's not only what, con, what repentance is. True repentance includes all four of these. Conviction, contrition, turning away from sin, and turning towards God. The, the, the root of the word in the original language just literally means to change your mind, like, to, to change your mind. To, but, but it's more than just changing your mind because we know our minds can be changed right back. It's, it's turning, it's, it's all these things. <laughs> I like the definition. You took it off, didn't you? I like these things. <laughs> Contrition, conviction, turning away and turning towards. It's, it's all of that. And, and we need to be careful trying to make, you could take it, I'm sorry, you could take it off now. We, we need to be careful trying to make the gospel so appealing to non-believers that we promise all the benefits of heaven without demanding repentance the way Jesus does. He didn't hesitate to call people to change. Go and sin no more. <laughs> repentance. The one who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Doing. Believing includes obedience. Repentance 
is unavoidable. It's, it's pertinent. It's necessary. We cannot move beyond repenting. We have to constantly live in this state of conviction, contrition, turning away from sin, turning towards God. Not in order to earn heaven. Because by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. So, so going to a booth to confess and repent in order to earn more favor or make sure you're still in heaven is not what we are teaching because it's not what we believe. We believe that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we believe that we are to walk in active repentance. Because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and, and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Ah, there's so much to talk about today. Can't do it. Can't do it. Okay, be, let's, go, let's go right here. The one who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of, of, of heaven. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Think about it. They're, they're showing him what they did. They, this, is, this is their proof. Coming to them with the resume. And the resume was actually really good. Raise your hand if you've cast out a demon. Maybe, it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's not possible. This resume is pretty good. You know what I'm saying? This is what we've done in your name. And Jesus says in verse 22, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But what about all this that we did? So what's the distinction here that Jesus is making between doers of the word in verse 21? He said, the ones who does the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So doers of the word, doers of the will of the Father, and workers of lawlessness. What's the difference? What, what, what does it mean to be a doer of the word? Jesus' brother James heard this message and, and after wrestling through his own journey of faith, we don't have time to go through all that church history, but after wrestling through his own journey of faith, he wrote these words in his epistle in James chapter 1, verse 22. If you've been with City Church for a little while, we studied through the whole book of James. It was marvelous. Three years ago or something now, but James 1, 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. This, this was inspired from his walking beside Jesus and hearing teachings like this one from the Sermon on the Mount. Look at chapter 2 of James. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So at face value, if you put this one next to Ephesians 2 where we started, it might feel like it's a little bit in, in conflict. Because the faith that saves, according to Paul in Ephesians, is by grace alone. And they're not a result of works. It's just total trust in the person and the work of Jesus. So, so James, what are you talking about with faith and works? It's kind of hard for me to understand. Look at verse 15. Keep going. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's pretty easy to understand. The words that you spoke 
aren't going to provide their needs when they're cold and they're hungry. Lip service, empty words. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. Be doers of the word because faith without works is dead. Do you need works in order to earn favor with God? No, you need faith. And the faith that saves is a faith that works. A faith that does not work is not a faith, genuinely. I want to say it more clearly. So I'm going to finish the text in verse 18 because James did a pretty good job. (laughs) But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, the fruit is on the tree. The fruit is on the tree. Like when you look at a tree and, you, and you're, trying to, you're trying to decide what kind of tree it is and you can't see the fruit, it's pretty hard to figure out what kind of tree it is. But when you see an apple on a tree, do you question if it's an orange tree? No. The fruit is on the tree. I will show you my faith by my works. I'm not earning faith by my works. I'm showing faith. By my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. (sighs) Even demons believe and they shudder. What a solemn reminder that someone can acknowledge Christ with their lips and not acknowledge him with their heart. That the demons believe it's not going to be enough. You can profess Christ without possessing Christ. You you can claim to be a follower of Christ and not actually follow him at all. Matthew Henry said this a long time ago. He said, it is not knowledge but love that distinguish... Oh man, I got to start over with that one. This is really good. It is not knowledge but love that distinguishes saints from devils. It is not knowledge, but love that distinguishes saints from devils. Saints from ain'ts. I don't know. I had to do it. Okay. There's more to the quote. There's more to the quote. I just want you to get that first part. And then listen to this next part. He is the firstborn of hell that knows Christ and yet rejects him and will not be subject to him and to his law. You can know him. You can have sound doctrine and know about him and and know what to say and how to be without truly knowing him intimately. That word that Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you, wasn't it just a mere intellectual term? It was an intimate term to know genuine faith, this, this love that comes out of a Christian only. 
Jesus said something similar in Luke chapter 6 about empty words. It just, I'm just going to keep pouring it on just for a little while longer. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 6, excuse me, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's what I get all, like I just, just laying in bed at night. Just like, boom, Jared, you're saying the right things, but you're not doing what I tell you to do. And you think that it's going to be enough to just say the right things. Lord, master, authority, like, like the, these, these people that he's ref- referencing here, they, they're calling him their authority. But, it, but, but the, the, he's like, you're calling me as if you're my servant, but you're not doing what I command you to do. Therefore, depart from me. I never knew you. John MacArthur paraphrase this verse and he said it this way I never I have never known you as my disciples this is like it's coming from Jesus sorry he's paraphrasing the verse like it's coming from Jesus Jesus saying I have never known you as my disciples and you have never known me as your Lord and Savior we have no intimate part of each other you chose your kingdom and it was not my kingdom you chose your kingdom and you wanted me to be a part of that But that's not how it works because it's not my kingdom. Depart from me. I never knew you. Let me take a a second right here. We can be secure in our faith knowing that when we have been saved by the grace of God, that, that, that when he made it possible for you to be alive, as Ephesians 2 says. He he made us alive together in Christ Jesus, for by grace you've been saved. When that happened, it happened, and it is secure. And the Holy Spirit rests upon you as a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, and that is sealed. But if it didn't happen, then you're in this camp. And only you can know that between you and the Holy Spirit of God. There's a, there's a long saying engraved on a cathedral at Lübeck, Germany. I don't know if I did that well or not. Maybe Jacob can tell me later. How many, how many uh, languages do you speak? Two. I feel like you speak 12. Can I say what I want to say? No. What about you, Daisy? Can I say what I want to say? Congratulations on your pregnancy. We're so excited for both of you. Isn't that great? Be fruitful and multiply. We, we, we fill the church house with blessings and grateful for you guys. I am so sorry if that's not how you wanted that to go. Probably wasn't. Okay. <laughs> I'm nervous. I'm talking about hell and stuff, so I'm nervous. Engraved on this cathedral, I want you to hear these words. Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. 
You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. This is where we're going to close. Acts chapter 8. A picture of what we're talking about today. I know. I heard that XL. I feel the same way. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Philip encountered a man named Simon, a, a magician. This is going to be interesting. Verse 9. You ready? But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. First problem. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Pause for a second. Philip is, rewind actually, beginning of Acts chapter 8, Paul is persecuting the church and the church is having to scatter because Paul's after them. Saul is after them. He's going to be Paul, but anyway, Saul is after the church. They're having to scatter, and Philip is coming through the town. He's coming through Samaria, and he's talking. Uh, he's, he's sharing about Jesus, and many people are believing. And then, then here we are with Simon, where I just picked up the story, and then and go, go to verse 13. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So we're, we're on a good path right now for Simon, the magician. Believed, baptized. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had reached, had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, the Holy Spirit. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, Simon the magician saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of apostles' hands, he offered them money. Next huge problem. And this is what he said. Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, that ain't how it works. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God before your heart because your heart is not right before God they profess me with their lips but their heart is far from me their worship is vain you have said the right things but your heart is far from God it's not right before God look at what he tells him to do in verse 22 repent repent therefore 
of this wickedness of your ways and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Okay, so just pause for a second. We, we, he's, he believed and he was baptized. And then now we hit a little bump in the road because we see that his old way is, or his current way, if you could with me for a second, is sneaking back in. And he's got a chance. He's got a chance right here. And the chance is repent, turn. Are you convicted? Are you broken? Are you, are you willing to turn away from your sin and turn towards God? This is what Peter tells Simon. Are, are you willing to turn away from being the magician and turn towards being a Christian? And he's got a chance right here. But look at what Simon said in verse 24. This is the nail in the coffin. Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Peter, will you pray for the Lord? Will you pray to the Lord for me, Peter? No repentance. No turning. No, no, there is no relationship here. Will you pray for me? Pastor, let me, I'm out of time, but I'm, I'm coming to an end. I'm just gonna step on a few more toes and then we'll be done. That's okay. Pastor, will you pray for me? Because, yeah, I'll pray for you. But how about I pray with you? If, if you have a relationship, you see, what I'm, you see what I'm saying with that? Like, if you have a relationship, you have access through the same Holy Spirit. Simon did not. Simon wasn't done being a magician. Simon wasn't done doing his own thing with a little bit of Jesus. He wanted to believe. He wanted to be baptized. He wanted to walk the, the aisle. But he wanted a sidecar with Jesus in it. Hey, will you pray for me, Peter, and, and pray that there's none of this is going to happen to me? If I had time, I would read the rest of Acts chapter 8. I want you to do that later because there's a story of a man, an Ethiopian eunuch, who, who did come to saving faith. And you can see how he came to saving faith and how beautiful that is. But the broader point that I'm trying to make as we close today is repentance and believing are essential. And there will be fruit from genuine faith. Jesus started off this sermon with what kingdom citizens look like. Do you remember the Beatitudes? These are characteristics, attributes of Christians. This is the fruit that you will bear. I just want to read the Beatitudes again so that we are reminded of, of the fruit of the Christian. Like This is what you will look like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You don't question what type of tree you're looking at when you can see the fruit. And kingdom citizens will bear fruit. So ask yourself today, can you see fruit of saving faith in your life? Do you see these attributes? When you go back to 2 Peter that we read early, do you see these attributes? He said, if these are here and they are increasing, you can know, confirm your calling and election, wrestle it down. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if you can see the fruit of faith in your life, be assured of your salvation. And walk in it confidently. But if you cannot, turn from your sin today and trust in Jesus. Call on him as Savior and Lord. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Repent of what you've, the way that you've lived and turn to him in the way that he's calling you to live. He will forgive you of your sins. And turn If you can't see fruit of your salvation, I want to call on you to turn from your sin today and trust in Jesus. If you have questions about that, we can answer them. A lot of people here can answer them, not just me, but I'd be glad to. Father God in heaven, We're here for you, and we're here for you only, and we ask that you continue to work in our hearts as we consider difficult words. I pray that you give us grace to wrestle well, and I pray that you give us peace and assurance in your salvation, that we don't have to earn it. Praise God, because we couldn't earn it anyway. And that your grace is sufficient. That your power is made perfect in weakness. And that even when we are weak, you will be made strong through our weakness. God, I pray for anyone today that's hearing these words and is challenged and questioning whether or not they are your child. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Pray that you would give them confidence that today they can step from death to life because of your power. And I pray that you would give them assurance in their salvation. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd love to invite you to stand as we worship one more time. And. Uh, this altar's open as always. We love you. We're grateful for you.